Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Well, I am Stan Fleming, and um, this is my wonderful wife, Kathleen, my life partner, my beautiful friend, and uh, intelligent human being. That makes me a better individual. Thank you, honey. Uh, Pastor Chris asked me to share today, and so I um, appreciate that. It's so good. And so I thought that I would kind of start by giving you some realistic goals for 2023. I mean, you know, sometimes these goals, they come out and they're, they're so high for us to attain to. They seem so very difficult to get to. So I thought I'd give you some realistic ones. Um, number one, stop exercising and gain weight. You know, I think everybody can do that. Procrastinate more. Um, spend more time at work. Get in a whole new rut this year. You can do it. Come on. You can do it. We don't want to do any of that, though. We really don't. Eliza Collins says, isn't it nice that the new year starts in the dead of winter when the primitive in each of us believes that we'll never see spring again? Anybody feel like that this morning? Right in the mid-gloom, here comes the new year with all its hopefulness untarnished. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, who could care about the new year if it was in the middle of July, you know? Um, How many of you enjoyed last week? How many of you were here last weekend? It was amazing. It was truly a wonderful, epic time uh, at Capitol Church, and Every single service added something to us. It was, it was amazing. It was heartfelt. We probably all had our high moments. And I'm sure if we went around the room, we could list so many different things that we got out of the services last weekend. But a few of them that stuck out to me uh, was that uh, it started on Friday night, not being stuck in the past. But basically, you know, being present at the moment and looking forward into the new year. My wife and I actually, as we're getting on in years, if you don't mind me saying that, uh, we basically are kind of uh, wanting to be present in the moment. You know, like we live up some flights of stairs and, you know, it would just take one little misstep or whatever. We need to be present in the moment, you know. So it's always good to be present in the moment for what we're doing. But we also need to cast forward into the new year. Yeah, we can look back sometimes. That's okay. But to be present and to look forward. And then in the prayer room, so many amazing words came out in the prayer room in in prophecy. But one of them was about double portion. And, and I know that, you know, it's the Elijah to Elisha story, you know, double portion. And I know that we could always say that every single year, but it's a good thing to say. It's a good thing to say to our hearts. You know, I can have a double portion this year. I can raise up in my faith. Another one, uh, Pastor Chris talked about it, that this is a year of healing. Please say that with me. This is a year of healing. And, and I think we need to project that into our lives, into our congregation, and into the community at large around here, a year of healing. 
Uh, God likes to do new things. He always does new things. And then I love the commissioning on uh, Sunday night. And many of you received uh, that oil on your head and, and you know, you heard the words over your life. But the commissioning, the words were, may the peace of the Father, the love of Jesus, and the strength of the Holy Spirit be upon you. I put the sign of the cross on your head so that you will remember um, that God is with you. And you know, that's an amazing thing. And this week, it reminded me, and I teach this at other times, but you know, there's three words that we are all associated with here today if we are Christians. And number one is the Greek word Christianos. It basically means followers of Christ. And, you know, it's good to be a follower of Christ. I mean, I know that name gets put down today in today's uh, pluralistic culture of all of these religions and everything else. But you know what? I'm glad that I'm a Christ follower. I really am. And, um, and then inside of that word is the word Christos, which is the Christ. And it means anointed. And, you know, Jesus was the Christ. He was the anointed one. But you know, there's even a deeper word, a smaller word. It is the word, Greek word, creo. And it means to smear and rub with oil. And that means that every single time somebody bends the knee or bends their heart and says, Jesus, be the savior of my life. Come into my life. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit comes along and smears oil all over them. He smears it over our emotions, over our heart, over our spirit, over our will, over our minds, our thoughts. And he starts to change us slowly in our lives. But to me, the important part of that is that when you become a Christian, when you say, Lord, I will, I want you to know that you are being consecrated into the office, if I can use that word, of being a Christian, of being a Christ follower. And when you walk into situations in your life, the anointing of God is upon you and the presence of the Lord can be in that situation. It can change the atmosphere of the conversation. It can change the atmosphere of the situation in which you walk into in your life. Now that rubbing, that smearing of the oil, it's deep in our hearts. And, and uh, today I want to talk to you about truth in the inward parts. I, I, but before I get to that, I just kind of want to mention a couple more new things that I think we should be aware of this year, that we should be about. And one is, each day is a new day to praise God. You know, we wake up and we praise God. Now, I don't know, some of you might wake up later than others. I used to get up in the middle of the night, but, and I still do sometimes, but, but basically, anymore I try to sleep in a little bit. But Psalm 57, 7 and 8 says, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. You know, it's wonderful to awaken the dawn. Sometimes I'm, I'm just awake as the sun is coming up. But even if it's later on in the morning, the whole idea is that we awaken the day with praise that we say, thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. 
And then secondly, a new song. Now, I know that the word song is used a lot, but think of it here not necessarily in terms of creating a song. It can be that, or musical instruments or whatever, but it can be other things. It says in Psalm 96, 1 and 2, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. So the thrust here is about new ideas, new faith, New, new enterprises in our life, new things that we take on. Every single day that we live, we have the privilege of waking up and doing new things. Every day we can be a conqueror and an overcomer in Christ Jesus. And then finally, a new day of God's mercies and his compassion. And we know that in Lamentations 3, 21 and 24, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, you know, if he was everything he went through, if he could write these kind of words, then, oh boy, I want to be able to do that as well, to live this way. He said, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope through the Lord's mercies. We are not consumed because his compassion fails not. Don't you love that? His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. I don't know about you, but I hope in the Lord. I really do. You know, years and years ago, I was a pastor up in northern Idaho. And uh, we had a woman in our church named Athena, a great, great woman of God. And she was a quadriplegic. And she'd had, you know, like a boating accident when she was young. And uh, Willow remembers her very well. And Athena would paint with her mouth. And she was famous in the region right there. But we had the opportunity, um, so I stepped out in it, to take Athena and to meet somebody who was really famous. Her name was Johnny Erickson Tata. And she was famous not only around America, but around the world. Um, quadriplegic, she painted with her mouth, and um, just amazing uh, testimonies of God. And so we went, and Athena got to ride in this parade. And, and then Athena and I had lunch with Johnny Erickson Tata, which was pretty cool, you know? And, and then there was just this huge auditorium, concourse of people afterwards, and, uh, and Johnny was speaking to them. And she was talking about euthanasia. She was going around America and she was saying why people shouldn't have their lives ended prematurely uh, in any way. And she mentioned a revelation that God had given her and she said that one time she felt like taking her life because she had so many problems. I mean, she couldn't move at all, just her head, you know. And, and, and yet the Lord gave her a revelation of that verse uh, a thousand years is as, as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. And, and she started to realize that in one day of life, she could pray a prayer that had never been prayed before. She could write a letter of encouragement to somebody with her mouth. She could paint a picture and give it to somebody that would make their day or their year. She could do all kinds of things. She could give money. She could do everything. Listen, each day of our lives is important. Each day of our lives is making a little bit more progress, climbing the mountain a little further up so that we get a little bit closer to where God wants us to become. 
That's pretty good. Now, my challenge to you today is to grow in inner honesty. Grow in inner honesty. Please say these words with me, inner honesty. Inner honesty is one of the most important points of self-awareness and spiritual growth that the Lord wants to work out in our lives. Now, there's other things that are important. I mean, love, joy, peace, faith, hope. I mean, they're all important. Sacrifice, we have all of these different things, learning patience and, you know, learning to be kind and all of this. They're all important, but without inner honesty, they kind of all falter because we have to be honest inside of ourselves. And I think that this probably hits us all in different ways. And that's okay because the Holy Spirit is the master of working out inner honesty in our lives. You know, he chips away a little bit here. He, he polishes this up. He, he smears some oil on this part and kind of tries to make it shiny, you know. He says, not this way, but this way. You know, he, he gives us direction slowly and surely. We are all projects in the making. Really, we are projects in the making. I don't know about you, but I'm a project in the making. I haven't always been this handsome, I'll tell you. We need inner honesty to see clearly. And we need inner honesty to gain wisdom. Those are the two things, seeing clearly, gaining wisdom. Psalm 51.6, this is just close to my heart. David wrote, behold, everybody say behold. behold. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Chris talked about how this word means to see. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. This is David's confession psalm. After he sinned by sleeping with Bathsheba. And you know the story if you've read it about David's life. How he not only slept with Bathsheba, but then he made arrangements for her husband, Uriah the Hittite, to basically be put in the most extreme part of the battle so that he would perish, and indeed he did. So basically, he was also, David was also culpable of murder. Pastor Chris, a couple weeks ago, gave this pertinent and important message comparing the sins of David and the sins of Saul, number one, but then also how they responded to the Lord calling them out on this. And of course, David got it right. He confessed. And so confession is so important. Our confession, your confession, is important to God. You know, when we do something wrong, we should confess. It's as simple as that. Just Bam, agree with the adversary while you were in the way with him. Bam, right there. Don't put it off. Don't deny it. Don't rationalize it. Don't justify it. Don't have a delusion in your mind. Don't lie to yourself. You know, God wants to basically move us into a place of greater self-introspection so that we... We'll be whole. 
so that we will know what it means to be a truthful human being. You know, like, I mean, we've all heard it before. Shakespeare, to thine own self be true, you know. I think the guy was holding a skull in a graveyard when he said that. But, oh, poor Yorick, I knew him well. But whatever, whatever, you know. Basically, you know, we need to be people, especially as Christians, that are honest with ourselves. Come on, that's good, right? I know that's a little bit hard, but basically, our Heavenly Father wants us to be honest with ourselves and with Him. And for me, I feel like God sometimes brings like this magnifying glass. And He puts it on a part of my thoughts. And then He puts it on a part of my speech. And, and, you know, and all of a sudden I realize, oh, I said this, but I should have said that. Or I thought this, but I should have thought that. Wait a minute, where did that dream come from? That's a terrible, weird, maniacal dream, you know? Throw that in the garbage. Nobody else has things like that happen, right? <laughs> you know, if we're a part of a human race, we have that happen. Think about Paul and his inner battle. Romans 7, 19 in the New Living Translation, he said, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody relate to that? Thank you for your honesty. All five of you up here, you know. <laughs> Psalm 51, 6. And in the hidden part, you make me to know wisdom. Now, this is where it gets interesting to me because, see, what the Lord wants to do is he wants to teach us wisdom in the inner man. And having truthfulness in our hearts is right next to gaining wisdom. When we suddenly say, oh, I shouldn't be thinking about it that way. I should be thinking about it this way. Oh, I shouldn't uh, say it that way. Maybe I should say it this way. That gets us a little bit closer to what God is trying to build up inside of us, which is wisdom. So let me give you a couple of illustrations. So someone is about to exaggerate about a level of perceived offense. You did that to me. That was terrible. You know, they start yelling or, or they're just about ready to blow their cork. I, I don't know if that's an expression, but you know what I mean. They're just about ready to blow their top. And, and yet, all of a sudden, before they do that, this still small voice inside of them says, hold on, slow down a little bit. You should respond this way and not that way. You guys know what I'm talking about? And basically, it balances it out because maybe all of a sudden the person realizes that they're kind of a part of the problem as well in the situation. And so they slow down a little bit. Another example could be about, you know, it's not always necessary to give a direct answer when somebody asks you a question. Let me give you some examples. What if a stranger is asking about personal information? Well, you know, that could be dangerous. Uh, we're taught to be, even as children, uh, to be a little bit wiser than that, a little bit more cautious. Or, and, and that's not deception. That's not a lie. 
That's simply, it's not appropriate for you to ask me that. Or somebody might ask you, who did you vote for? <laughs> well, you might be wise not to answer that question. Because maybe that's going to end up in some kind of heated argument or something, you know? Well, I have my right to privacy, you know? Or, what did you get me for my birthday? Well, now wait a minute. You don't want to spoil the fun in somebody's life. I remember I, a big hero of mine in the faith is a woman named Corey Tenboom, and uh, who wrote The Hiding Place and you know, was in Holland in World War II and saved the Jews. But, so I read all of her, all of her books. But basically, she tells the story one time when she was a little girl, and uh, she asked her mom about the sex word, you know? And, and her mom uh, didn't quite know how to answer at that moment in time, so she didn't quite say anything, but there was this big suitcase that probably weighed as much as Corey did, maybe around 50 pounds or whatever. And so eventually her mom said to her, Corey, go move that suitcase into the other room. And so Corey goes over and she can't even budge the thing. It's just way too heavy for her. And she kind of starts to weep a little bit. She goes, mom, it's too heavy for me. And her mom said to her, well, Corey, when you're old enough to move that suitcase, you'll, which is heavy for you, when you're that old, you'll be able to understand these other things that are too heavy for you right now. And she just gave her revelation that way. You know, kind of like a parable. And then think about Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't always answer questions. Sometimes he was given a question, and you know what he did? He asked a question. He came right back with another question. Or sometimes he gave a parable because he wanted to teach them a deeper truth, a deeper revelation, and they weren't ready for just hearing it um, in black and white terms. So wisdom, gaining wisdom. God wants to teach us wisdom, how to gain wisdom. How many of you would like more wisdom this year? How many of you would like more wisdom in your, in your businesses this year? And, and, in your, and in your personal lives, with your families and I mean, you know, I just see some of you, uh, I don't know why, but it just comes to me, some of you sailing, like going out on like a, a, a boat, like a sailboat, literally a sailboat. Maybe some of you do that. And, and you have to, and I don't know much about sailboats, but I know you have to learn how to tack the sail. You have to learn how to, how to, how to put everything in the right place so that that sailboat will go where it wants to. Well, God wants to help you to become proficient sailors in life. He wants you to know how to go into the winds of adversity in your life and to be able to set your sail and to go forward in a way that will make a difference not only in your life but in the lives of those around you. It can save your life. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment about honesty and a genuine response, an honest and genuine response. God desires our honest and genuine response and sometimes realize that when we give that, that's all he's looking for and then he'll have an answer for us. 
if we're just authentic with him, if we'll be those people who, who basically talks about in the Bible, and I've preached on this before, but it's like, here I am, Lord. Here I am. You know, one of the things that I think is the most easy to do is to lose our direction or to lose where we're at. We, we don't have the compass out. And, and so basically sometimes what we have to do is simply when the Lord says to us, Stan, I say, Lord, here I am. And what that does is it recognizes a position. And I have to be vulnerable. I have to say, here I am, Lord. This is my situation. And be real with him and genuine with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Wherever that is, whatever it might look like. And so here's some examples. Here's Moses in Exodus chapter 4. And he's kind of arguing with God. You know, he's complaining a little bit. He's, he's basically saying, Lord, I'm, I'm not an elo eloquent speaker. I'm slow to speech and slow to thought. And, and so God comes back and says, well, you know what? Then I'm going to appoint Aaron, your brother, and he will become your mouthpiece to Pharaoh. And so God had an answer for him. Think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where he said, I see the Lord high and lifted up. And all of a sudden he realized that, that he was in the presence of God. And he said, woe is me, which means there is a curse on me. Woe is me. He said, I am, I am a man of unclean lips. And all of a sudden he felt like he was just going to crumble before the Lord, that he couldn't do anything for God. And some of you feel like that in your life, like you don't have any ability to do anything for God. But I tell you what, the Lord sent an angel to Isaiah with a live coal from off the altar before God and he touched Isaiah's lips with it and it purified his lips because the fire that is in us sometimes like James 3 talks about the fire that sometimes is started by hell basically needs to be taken out of our lives and we need to be cleansed again by the fire that comes from heaven that purifies our hearts and cleanses our hearts and so this coal comes from heaven and it cleanses his life. And then Ananias in Acts chapter 9. Imagine being Ananias the prophet and all of a sudden the Lord comes to, to you and says, I want you to go to this guy named Saul of Tarsus who, by the way, is killing Christians. He's a terrorist killing Christians. And I want you to pray for him because I've shown him a vision and you imagine Ananias, and he's saying, well, Lord, you know, he's, he, this is not a good idea. He's killing people and everything else. But God comes back to Ananias and says, do this. He encourages him. He says, I have shown him a vision. You're going to go in there. You're going to pray for him, and he's going to receive his sight. And then guess what? He's going to go off to the nations, and many people are going to come to know about Jesus Christ as a result of what you're going to do here, Ananias. And so he goes off and he does that very thing. Or think about Thomas in John chapter 20. Thomas, the skeptical one, the one that we call doubting Thomas. I think we give him a bad rap sometimes. I think all of us are probably a little bit skeptical at times in our lives. He said, if I, if I don't see the resurrected Christ with my own eyes and feel his wounds, I'm not going to believe. 
That's what he told the other disciples. And so Jesus comes to him in person. And he says, look, here, see me. Feel, you know, the wounds and everything else. And I can only imagine Thomas probably falling down on his knees and saying, my Lord and my God. You know, one of the first professions of faith, really, of the risen Christ. Well, he is an amazing individual. Do you know what Thomas went out to do? We know more about the apostle Thomas than almost any of the other apostles. Why? Because after he saw the resurrected Christ, he eventually went to India. And he started dozens of churches, maybe hundreds of churches around India. Some of them, and I've met people from India who go to churches down in southern India that you ask them, well, who started your church? Oh, Thomas, you know, 2,000 years ago, you know. Oh, yeah, and we're so helpful. Oh, yeah, we come out of the Azusa Street movement, you know, 100 years ago. Well, the reality of it is that Thomas listened to what the Lord said to him and basically went and did what he was called to do. Now, in um, John 8.32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Well, in 2015, I had the privilege of being in Pakistan, which used to belong to India, where Thomas went and preached 2,000 years ago. And I got to be in that very place where they say that he stood and he preached the gospel to the masses that were there. Now, Pakistan is an interesting story for me because I've been to Pakistan quite a few times since 2009. And um, what happened then was I had been invited to Pakistan, but you know, I wasn't going to go. My wife said, no, no way. You're crazy. You aren't going to Pakistan. People are dying over there. You know, I got these invitations. But in 2009, the Lord told me to go to Pakistan in one day. And I, and I was like wrestling with it and I was praying and I was saying, well, Lord, if you want me to go, I got to know that I know that I know. And not only that, it's expensive. You know, a plane ticket over there, Lord, is really expensive. And the, besides that, my wife says, don't go. So you got to work all of those things out. So in one day, that same day, by the way, that same day, I had a prophet come up to me who didn't know anything about this and told me to go out of the blue. And then I was at a church that night. And it, weirdly enough, I was, I was teaching them about answering Islam. And right in the middle of it, the Lord told me to tell them about how I'd been invited to Pakistan. And I did. And after that service, this couple comes up to me and offers to buy me a round-trip airplane ticket to Pakistan. And then I called my wife and I said, let me tell you a story. And she said, well, I guess you're going to Pakistan. <laughs> that all happened in one day. Well... So I've been there many times since, but in 2018, or excuse me, in 2022, uh, October, just a few months ago, actually, I went to Pakistan with my daughter, Susanna, and Liberty, and we were there, and we 
basically we're visiting uh, the schools. I have Gatebreaker Ministries, that's my nonprofit. And so uh, one of the things we do is we started schools and we start schools in Pakistan. So we have all of these schools, like 19 schools for the slave children that work in the brickyards. Um, we have like a thousand kids in our schools. And these are kids that work 12 hours a day, six days a week, and the government will not provide education for them. So we have all these primary schools going on, which is pretty big all in itself. But then uh, we got to go and visit our uh, the build of our secondary school, which is about halfway finished now because we've been raising money for it. You can, you can see in these pictures up here, uh, this is my daughter Suzanne on the left and Liberty on the right, and uh, that handsome guy in the middle there. And, then, um, and, and so basically, uh, we are building this, and we're, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe roughly, uh, we're in phase two, so we're closing in on paying for the rest of the school. And then, and then guess what? It will be the only secondary school for slave children in the whole Punjab region of Pakistan. And so we are excited. We're trying to get this thing built because we're going to fill it up with like three, four hundred kids in there so that they can learn English, learn Urdu, learn geography, learn science, learn whatever it is and the Bible and, and, work, and get their way out of slavery. So I didn't think that our trip could be any greater than that. Remember, I'm talking about honesty here in the deep parts. I mean, God, I'm, I, I throw all these things up to him. I'm not going. How could I go? And he just goes, bam, bam, bam. You know, God can answer anything in your life. If he calls you to something, he can answer it. If he wants to put a new song in your heart, he will. I mean, whatever it is that God wants to do, he can do it. So I thought that this would be like the highlight of our trip. And it was, but I didn't think anything could equal it. But then all of a sudden, while I'm there, and I work with two pastors over there. I work with Pastor Rizwan Fazel. We started all the schools for slave kids. But I also work with another partner named Pastor Asher Aziz. And Asher, I was with him the last portion of the trip. He said, would you please... Um, Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. This, that was the school. That was one of our primary schools that we started. But Asher says, would you consider giving food to these Afghan refugees that have come from Afghanistan? And so I said, okay, we'll give several hundred dollars. I didn't know what it was all about. And we go there, and I had no idea. You know, we're talking about Lahore, Pakistan, which is like 12 million people. So I had no idea what was going on. So we go to this refugee camp. And there are 12,000 families in tents. And we're all overwhelmed. Suzanne and I are there. We're just overwhelmed. We're like, and, and then, and there's like four different tribes that are there from Afghanistan that are there. And, um, and so we're trying to give the food to this one tribe, which I, I didn't know anything about. My people on the ground, they were working it out. So I'm just there. And, and so... That's being worked out. All of a sudden, this argument breaks out because one of the guys from another tribe comes over and he wants the food. And he doesn't think it's fair. Well, we can give the food to whoever we want to, but we're there trying to give it and this argument's breaking out. It's getting very tense. 
And my daughter, Susanna, bless her heart, she has all these kids coming around her. And so she's teaching them a song. And she's getting the best part of it, like 30 kids over there. They're all singing this song. And I'm watching this argument break out. Well, suddenly, pretty soon, the argument, it, it kind of simmers down. And then the chief of one of the tribes comes up to me and he wants me to go into his tent with him. Now you have to understand, these are all Muslims, 12,000 families of Muslims. And, and that's fine, but we're talking Afghanistan, you know, war and all of that. And he wants me to go in his tent with him. It's getting very tense. So I go into his tent and all of a sudden, and he's like, the biggest tribe there. He has thousands and thousands of families and all of these men. And, um, and by the way, he told me later on that the tribe that they represent are descendants of um, Benjamin and, and uh, Joseph. And I'm like, I don't know how that works, you know, being over in Pakistan, but I didn't even try to get into the theology of that one. But anyway, so I'm there, and, and all of a sudden, all the tent flaps get rolled up, and he has like a dozen men come inside of the tent, his leaders, and then probably 30 to 40 more sitting outside the tent. And it's getting very intense. And I'm taking, I'm speaking in English, and it's being translated into Urdu through Asher, and then it's being translated into a third language, uh, which is like their Afghan um, tribal language. And so at first, they're just thanking me for the food. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is great. You're welcome, you know. Um, I want to go now, but, you know. <laughs> uh, but so, so we're there. And then all of a sudden, they find out that my ministry starts schools. And they're saying, well, would you start a school here? Now, this is where it starts to get a moment of honesty in my life. Because I'm like, I don't want to start a school here. <laughs> I already spend a lot of money each month providing for curriculum and teachers and furniture and you have it and everything else. And what do you think I am? A money tree, you know. <laughs> and, but, but rather than saying no, and politely excusing myself, the still small voice inside of me said, slow down, just listen to what they're saying. So I listened probably for a half an hour as this debate breaks out, it's getting tense, because these are Muslims and they don't want us to teach the Bible. They don't want us to teach about Jesus. And so I'm there, and finally the Lord gives me wisdom, and I said, you know, I said a couple things. I said, first of all, um, we only start Christian schools, and, but we teach all of the subjects that we possibly can, Urdu, English, all of this, you know. And um, I haven't said I'll start a school here, um, but I am willing to pray about it. I would not commit myself to them because I just didn't know. I said, I will pray about it. But, but then it still had to get down to the point, well, finally, by the end of it, they were begging me to start a school. And I said, do you understand that if we start a school, we will be teaching about Jesus? Yes. Do you understand if we start a school, we will be teaching them the Bible in one of our courses? Yes. 
I said, and you still want us to start a school? 12,000 families, the government will not intercede. There are no schools for the kids at all. Zero schools. The people are beyond poverty level, beyond poor. And I said, well, I will pray about it. I didn't want to sign up for something, you guys, that I, I hadn't prayed about, that I didn't even know if I could do. So I went back and prayed about it, and um, we can see these next slides. So this is Mohammed on the left. He's the chief that I've been praying for of uh, the tribe of Benjamin and Joseph. There he is right there in living color. And then, yes, we did start a school a few weeks ago, and this next one is the school. And so we have like 50 kids in that school. And we call that GBM faith school as compared to our other ones that are hope schools. So you never know what God wants to do. We just have to be open and honest to what the Lord is doing at the moment in time. Now I'm going to try to start to land this plane here. I want to talk to you about sanctification for a couple minutes. There are three parts to God's plan for each of us. Please repeat these words after me. Justification. Justification. Louder. Sanctification. And finally, glorification. glorification. So justification is basically when we get saved. We are, the just shall live by faith. We are justified when Christ died on the cross for us. And so he shed his blood for us. So at that moment, when we give our lives to Jesus, we are justified forever before God. Praise God. And then we have this sanctification. Well, guess what? That's the working out in our lives right now. And then finally, glorification is when we uh, die and we are in heaven and the resurrection comes and our spirit is reunited with our physical body and our soul. And basically, we will be glorified because of Jesus and what he did in us. Now, it says in Hebrews 10:14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's amazing. I want to read that again. For by one offering, that would be the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for us, that by his stripes we are healed. Come on, can I hear a weak amen for that? For by one offering he has perfected forever. He has perfected forever. That means he has completed. That word perfected means he has completed forever. Um, what has he completed? He has completed those who are being sanctified. And that's you and I. We are being sanctified in this life. And then John 17, 17 through 19, Jesus was praying to his father. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in what? In truth. You know, God wants to sanctify us in truth. He wants to sanctify our mind, our will, our emotions, our bodies. Now, there's three basic ways to get sanctified. One, through the word of God. And so I say to you in 2023, read your Bible more. Yes. However much you read it now, amp it up a little bit. And the other one, uh, number two, is through the Holy Spirit. Yes. And you know, one of the best little prayers that we can pray is, Lord, purify me. 
Lord, purify me. It's so simple, so good. And then finally, through the fellowship of believers, you know, hanging out with people will sanctify you. Now, you might say, you know what, Fleming, I don't feel very sanctified. I don't, I don't feel very holy. Well, let me tell you something. Every time that you're in the supermarket and you smile at somebody in the name of Jesus, that's a holy moment. Every time that you are at the dentist or wherever and you say, God bless you, that's a holy moment. That's a moment of sanctification. That's a moment where the atmosphere has changed. Every time that you reach out with prayer or with love or with hope or with faith in whatever situation in your life, you guys are awesome individuals. You probably don't get told that enough. You are awesome individuals. Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life for you. And he is working on you. And he is sanctifying you this year. This year. Now, we don't know what this year will bring. It could bring many different things to all of us. I'm sure it won't all be easy. But as we walk through it, and as we allow the Lord to examine our hearts and to put that magnifying glass upon us and help us to shift just a little bit. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Just shift just a little bit in our ways of doing things so that we have greater inner honesty. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The very first phrase here, whatever things are true. If I can leave you with one thing for 2023, would you make this your prayer and make this your goal? Lord, <laughs> help me to meditate on the things that are true. Help me to think about the things that are true this year. Help my heart to be centered around the things that are true in 2023. Can we close our eyes and bow our heads? Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I know this probably hits us all in different ways, but I pray, God, that you will sanctify us, Lord. Continue to do your completing work in us day by day and moment by moment. And touch all of these dear people and may they be sanctified in you and, and help us, Lord, to meditate upon those things that are true in our lives. Help us to grow in truth. Please put your hand on your heart. And say, Lord, help me to grow in truth. 
Help me to meditate upon those things that are true. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, please keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. And Maybe there's people here that you don't even know about the sanctification of Jesus. You haven't maybe even asked Jesus into your life, or, or maybe you have, but it was a long time ago. Perhaps you've walked away from the Lord. But you want to be in a place where Jesus will sanctify your life. Or where you can say, the Lord is my sanctifier. And maybe you don't really feel you can say that right now because you don't have that relationship with him. Well, he wants to have that relationship with you. And so if you're in that place, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm going to pray for you. Nobody else is looking. But you want him to be your sanctifier. You want him to be your, your Lord and your hope of goodness. So one, two, three. If that's you, just raise your hands. Okay, I see those hands. See those hands? Yes, see those hands. Very good. Anybody else? Yep, okay, I see that hand. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't want to move on too quickly. Anybody else? Anybody else? Let's say, Lord, I want you to sanctify me. Okay, I see that hand. Yes. All right, you can put your hands down. Church, can we pray this prayer together? Lord Jesus, thank you. I accept you as my Savior. Please come and sanctify my life. Purify me, Lord. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.